Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. We welcome you to Bite Into It, talk uh, tech, computing, uh, the internet, uh, all of the amazing things that uh, you want to have with you on a Wednesday night. Uh, tonight, uh, behind the desk, we have Ro Murray. How are you, Ro? Very well. How are you going, Warren? Doing pretty good. Um, rugged up, extra pair of socks on, um, feeling good. And uh, <laughs> welcome Dan Morganti. How are you doing, Dan? Yeah, really well. Just in at the studio, uh, steering the mothership. <laughs> nice one. Love it. Um, Tonight on the show, um, the uh, the Australian government uh, offers billions of dollars of tenders for work uh, each year uh, in tech projects, uh, a variety of projects, uh, much of that going to um, large businesses um, and large consultancies. But there's a lot of, um, I guess, nuance and um, uh, a lot of stories to tell beyond this. Um, so... Uh, Oztender is one of the the big um, sites and uh, platforms that um, uh, a lot of that work is distributed through. And Anywise, a small ethical consultancy, have created a great tool to track how tenders are working, uh, how they're being arranged, and uh, who's doing the work. Um, they're going to join us a little while later uh, in the show tonight. Um, also, you may have noticed that your spending habits uh, have changed over the past couple of months uh, during uh, isolation. Um, Beamit is an app to help with uh, splitting tabs, settling debts, um, sort of between friends. Um, they've been watching what we've been buying and um, and uh, spending our money on, um, and they'll share that with uh, us uh, a little later in the show. It's going to be interesting to see um, where we've been putting our money on, uh, I don't know, food deliveries and uh, exercise streaming apps and, and stuff like that. But um, before then, there is um, plenty to chat about um, news-wise. Um, so we're going to, um, uh, I guess, talk through a bit of that stuff first up. But um, it's interesting, um, folks, you may have um, noticed that during the, uh, um, during the, um, uh, I guess, times when we were trying to figure out uh, how best to control uh, the spread of the pandemic, um, uh, the federal cabinet um, or the... Federal, federal government and uh, leaders of the state governments were um, meeting as a, a, I guess, a combined cabinet to try and figure out what to do. Um, they actually now want to extend that, and um, AFR has reported, um, just got a bit of a hint uh, around this, on a meeting of a, a tech cabinet um, to help uh, Australian business and the Australian, um, uh, I guess, uh, media empire and, and other parts of um, I guess our, our digital economy to um, to bounce back. Um, so it's been announced that uh, that's going to be uh, formed um, as part of uh, managing post-COVID growth. Um, what do you think about that, guys? Do you do you feel like they um, the the kind of um, federal cabinet did a good job of managing our response, and, and do you think they should be looking after our our, um, our tech response as well? Yeah, I uh, I think it like for the amount of infections that we've had in Australia compared to other countries around the world. I think we've done a, a, a fairly good job and I dislike uh, complimenting any politician at any time, but um, they've managed to, um, you know, come together to, to fight this, I think. Mm. Um, what do you think, Ro? Are you, 
do you kind of like the idea of, um, I guess, a streamlined kind of um, committee to, to sort of look after um, some of this kind of thing? Yeah, I, 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 I guess I try to keep a bit of hope that um, things can get better. Um, there's been such a mixed track record, especially with huge flagship projects that should have gone really well and should have, you know, put Australia at the forefront of what's happening. And it just seems to have been uh, one disaster after another. And I think... Um, you know, we're an incredibly intelligent country with some amazing people, amazing consultancies, amazing developers and a lot of great ideas. And I would love to see Australia actually consistently deliver well on, you know, federal government technologies that actually make our lives better or, you know, track things better or communicate better. So I, I always have hope that it can be done. Um, you know, I, I guess we've got to look look past, you know, past muff-ups sometimes. So fingers mm. crossed. Mm. Mm. Um, one thing that does seem to be um, spluttering to life is uh, the COVID tracking app um, has picked up some of the first cases. Um, uh, interesting. <laughs> um, Dan, what's going on here, Dan? Um, yeah, so Victorian health officials uh, have used the COVID safe app data for the first time to trace an infected person's contacts. Um, basically, uh, there's been very few, um, opportunities to use this technology, but the, we've used the technology for the first time to contact someone who slipped through the, the cracks and, um, they weren't aware that they had come into contact with someone that, uh, tested positive for, uh, COVID-19. Um, so, uh, the Victorian Deputy Chief Health Officer, um, Annalise Van Diemen said the app was used to identify a close contact of the infected person. Um, the, the the patient consented to Victoria using the data uh, the data on their phone, um, so they had the app downloaded and um, they came into contact with someone who also had the app downloaded. Um, but because there's uh, not widespread infection rates in Victoria, we won't know actually how effective it is if um, it gets to the point where there's many more infections. Um, mm. Yeah, so it's uh, pleasant to see that it's actually effective. Mm. Mm. Um, it was. Uh, it, it seems to be still a bit of a, an issue in um, uh, in New South Wales, um, but um, potentially they're getting around the, the issues with um, iOS. So um, that's a good thing. Um, I was actually surprised. I, I remember when this was on the horizon, um, uh, uh, maybe six weeks back. Um, everyone was laughing at the prospect that they'd get to kind of 40% um, of the population. They're up to, I think it's close to 6 million now, um, have downloaded and um, had a bit of a poke around. Did, did you think we'd get to that many? I certainly didn't think we'd get that many at all. Um, I, I haven't downloaded yet, uh, but uh, I'm, um, I mean, I'm working two days a week. I probably should uh, get it and download it um, mm. just to be... You know, to uh, to be a good citizen, I think, is the idea. Although the the worry that my data is there in a government uh, technology app, which they don't have the best track record of keeping safe and secure. So um, mm. that worry will always be there, but I think the benefits outweigh the, the costs. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of benefits, uh, Facebook has uh, had a nice little benefit to their uh, vast media empire. Um, they uh, certainly have. They've uh, cracked open their enormous sack of cash and um, went shopping. So they've Facebook has announced that they've picked up Giphy a few days ago for 
$400 million. Um, people who are avid social media users will probably be really, really familiar with Giphy. It's essentially the integrated um, GIF engine, I guess, for want of a better term, where if you need to pop some, you know, dank Daffy Duck memes, um, you know, in, into your uh, social media dialogue, you can. So um, I guess the main reasons that uh, Facebook has gone ahead with this deal, their, their official reasons have said is that um, it means that they can now build sort of tighter integrations between Giphy and Facebook products to, you know, enhance stickers, stories and other products. And, you know, we do know that, uh, you know, stories and messages and thing, Messenger are very, very successful and very, you know, engaging on Facebook platforms. So, they, you know, they want to make it a better experience and better integrated, which is great. Um, and they're also looking forward to investing further in Giphy's technology and the content library. And um, Giphy was starting to run out of money. So, so, um, you know, for the people that are into their gifts, this is actually probably a really good acquisition. Uh, the flip side of that is that um, there have been a few rumbles that um, Facebook may well have also had another agenda with making this purchase, which is... Um, Essentially, they love their data and um, they've purchased app apps and technologies in the past in order to mine data and mine searches more effectively and help them, um, you know, make other purchases or product development. So, um, and Giphy will be a very rich source of data for them as well. So, um, you know, hopefully we'll have, um, you know, more, more Daffy Duck memes that we can post. Nice. I think um, one of the one of the questions that came up about it was why was it actually worth so much uh, as an acquisition? They do actually have a little bit of um, uh, tracking code um, in uh, each GIF or in, in each kind of like uh, uh, piece of media. Mm. Um, so it does actually track uh, where you were using it, um, some of the other uh, sort of behaviours around um, where the GIF appears. So it's also like a really rich source of data for Facebook to, to have that as well. Exactly. Yeah. So it looks like a bit of a win all round for, for Facebook and their shopping habits. Mm. And for GIF memeing as well, who every, everyone's a winner in this scenario. I agree. It's one of my favourite things in the world. Yep. Can't have a Twitter thread without <laughs> a GIF per tweet, really. It's true. Um, one thing that might also be true um, is Indian startups are, are struggling a bit uh, at the moment. Um, it's probably true um, a lot of startup uh, ecosystems around the world um, uh, under the, the sort of current uh, climate. Um, uh, Seventy percent of Indian startups uh, are believed to be uh, in a situation where they'll run out of money in less than three months. Um, it's not unusual for, for, I guess, startups to have a, a short um, sort of uh, runway of, of cash. Um, but um, now, particularly so. Um, so they obviously it's a, sort of for our startups, it's the time where you really have to get out there and be pitching and having meetings and talking to investors and so forth. Um, it's very hard to do that um, at the moment. So um, uh, an industry body, uh, NASCOM, has conducted a survey um, and they've found, uh, yeah, uh, over 70% um, have just uh, three months' worth of cash um, and 22% 20, have barely enough to make it to the, the end of the year. So um, I think it's going to be interesting. The way they're responding is um, around half of them. Um, so they're looking to pivot to new business uh, opportunities and trying different things. Um, and 40% said they wanted to sort of grow into um, other verticals such as um, healthcare. So sort of taking the team or taking the smarts and, and maybe trying something else as well. So um, you could kind of imagine uh, a version of Shark Tank or something similar going on over there at the moment. It would be um, uh, absolutely um, bonkers. Um, so yeah, 
I, I do feel for a lot of those people who are trying to um, who are either onto something great already or looking to um, looking to make something of the the sort of start they've made. Um, so yeah, disappointing. Yeah, mm, absolutely, really challenging. I think um, this is somewhat of a canary down the mines as well for because these are possibly the most vulnerable businesses, uh, startups. They don't have. Um, you know, they don't have the staying power or customer base or whatever. Um, it could be a bit of a things to come for the wider uh, economy in general. Mm. Um, one thing that's not laying down, though, is uh, sheep herding robots. Ro, what's going on here? Oh, gosh, the world is changing. Um, I've, I've, I feel like I've, I've been very lucky as an individual because even though I've been an urban dweller most of my life, a really big tract of my family have been sheep farmers up roughly around the Grampians area. So, uh, you know, I've benefited from spending a huge amount of time kicking around these farms and doing mustering and helping with shearing and stuff. And one of the big observations I've had out of it is that how incredibly time intensive it is to farm. And when you're looking after huge tracts of land, it's it's immensely challenging. And, um, you know, when drone technology started to really kick off um, and farmers started adopting that quite early, they could zoom off and see what was happening, you know, on the farm without even leaving the premises. And it was an absolute game changer. Like, I just can't describe how big a game changer it was. And uh, now it looks like um, that's gone to a whole new level. Um We've now got autonomous robots herding sheep in New Zealand as well as running other tasks. You may have seen um, in the news or in social media recently Spot, the slightly terrifying four-legged robot um, roaming around Singapore parks and policing social distancing. Um, and this same little beastie um, is now out and about um, being being trialled on, you know, sheep mustering. So um, really, really fascinating. Um, still looks, if anyone wants to look up the video, we can tweet it later. Still looks slightly horrifying, um, but I do think anything that can, um, you know, save farmers on the ground some serious time um, is probably a very good thing. So, um, yeah, the future's coming at us hard. I tell you, this is this is why we do this show. That's this is truly fascinating stuff, lads. It's, it's brilliant. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Triple R on three. Triple R listening to bite into it. So have you ever wondered where all of those big commercial contracts were going? Obviously, the various tender websites locally to federally, like the Tender website, are pretty fragmented and clunky, can be very difficult to navigate, and it can be, be almost impossible to get a look at the bigger picture. I would also imagine that under COVID-19 that things are picking up pace, but it does seem like there's now a way to get a whole lot more visibility. Joining us tonight on the show are Annie May Forster and Adam Williamson, who are consultants at Anywise, who are here to talk about their new tool, the Oztender Insights. Welcome, guys. Hello. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us on the show. Yeah, thanks for being here. Um, so to kick things off, um, would someone be able to explain to us just how the Oztender Insights works? Yeah, sure. I can probably um, have a go at that. So um, if anyone's been to, you know, tenders.gov, .au, they'll, they'll know it's really hard to perform any sort of in-depth analysis. Um, each tender is separate page and any amendments are hidden away. Um, so yeah, anyways, kind of came to Data Ventures actually and we the questions were, you know, what's going on here? What's the spend? How do we see companies at a much higher level? Um, so yeah, we, we basically gave birth to the uh, Oztender Insights tool, which is a, you know, single page dashboard allows you to drill into um, in-depth analysis of all the different tenders that are happening. 
Fantastic. What was the, I guess, what was the real catalyst for creating it? We just identified that there was this huge gaps in the ability to understand how the government was spending money. Um, and we quickly realized there was sort of three different user groups that would find this really valuable. Um, so from, you know, think about small, medium enterprise, just trying to figure out, hey, I didn't win this tender. Who did and how many are they actually winning? Um, the general public and media love the Oz Tender Insights tool because it allows them to quickly you know, save hours, if not days of effort, trying to pull together all these tenders. Um, and even the government themselves, um, they don't always have the finger on the pulse of how much their department is spending. Um, so they actually come and look at the tool and they can see at a glance exactly how much has been spent over a period of time. Yeah, fantastic. So how, how long's um Austend Insights been out on the market for? It's been oh, around for, a, yeah, months. go on anyway, yeah, a couple of months. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess... Yeah, well, Adam told me about it. Uh, would have been the start of this year, so um, yeah, it's been a few months now. Um, and I guess yeah, it's been one of those things where it's it's difficult when you've started something before the pandemic, and then once pandemic hits, it's uh, it's difficult to actually uh, you know pick a time to to properly launch it and everything because. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, you obviously can't have a face-to-face -face launch where you can actually invite people and, and physically show them the tool. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I guess Adam can tell you a bit more about the how he went, did the launch and everything. <laughs> yeah, we actually, yeah, we did the launch through a, a live stream on Facebook, which was really interesting. And we had some questions coming at us live and it was so great to, for us to be able to drill into the data. Like even just now, I've, I've clicked on the front page and it just pops up, you know, Qantas Airways, you know, 40 odd million dollars straight away. Um, and so it's so interesting just to see where all this money is being spent um, yeah. by the government. Yeah, well, I guess, um, you know, COVID-19 um, has obviously had a really big impact on your launch, but it's also um, beneficial in the sense that people are now very, very curious about where, um, you know, federal dollars are going. So, um, you know, who are you finding so far are your biggest users? You mentioned a few audiences before, but I'm quite curious to hear who's really hopping on the tools. Um, yeah, anyway, I, yeah. Yeah, Sorry, well, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I guess actually, yeah, just today um, we had 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 some interest from um, uh, a journalist who uh, I'd reached out to to tell them about the tool, and um, they were working on a story, and they they asked me a specific question, you know, basically asking, you know, can I find the answers using your tool? Um, so I think, yeah, especially for journalists and people in the media um, who are still writing stories, and this tool's definitely uh, very useful. It's very time-saving as well, especially for journalists who, uh, you know, they don't have the time to go through the, the tenders website and manually try and find all the tenders because things are doubled up or, you know, someone's uh, made a typo or something. Um, so, yeah, definitely I think for media people it's definitely a very useful tool. How are, how are um, other people using it? What have been some of the um, different use cases um, for the platform? Yeah, um, small, medium enterprise absolutely love the tool. Um, so they'll know their competition. They'll know what tenders came up and they'll want to understand who won that tender. Are they continually winning that tender? And one of the key features of the tool that no other website does is it takes all those different amendments and brings them under the same view. So you'll see examples where a tender starts off at $4 million and within 18 months, it's now worth $24 million. And you can see each step of the way as it's being amended. So yeah, small, medium enterprise love 
viewing that level of insight and then using it to help shape how they approach tenders and go to market. How, how is that information usually fed back to the marketplace um, with the current sort of process, if at all? Yes, so, yeah, if at all, yeah, good, good point. Um, so if you wanted to understand the amendments of a tender through the tenders.gov.au website, it is a single page per amendment and it gets even more difficult because you click on the overall contract and then there's a separate page for each amendment um, and the government's expected to put in the change or the value change between the previous amendment and the current one and we've uncovered examples where that's just plain wrong so what we do is we actually recalculate the entire database every time we reload and we look at the difference between each amendment and we actually have an individual contract value assigned and you can sort the 500,000 records by that individual contract number of amendments and the insights are yeah they're getting they're getting pretty sexy I'm interested to know if uh, how long you had this kind of running at Anywise itself before you thought, okay, like we've enjoyed it enough, we, we need to sort of get it out there and and, and sort of share the share the joy yeah. with other people. Yeah, we realised it made sense to have a spin-off and you know, have the Data Ventures company come to life when you know Anywise was just asking question after question, tell me more about this, tell me more about this spend, what is this government agency and division, you know, how are they spending money, Where, where's the money going? And we realised, well. If anyone is so interested in this, it just makes sense that we open up to everybody else. Hmm. And uh, I'm interested in the the roadmap for it as well. It's been out for sort of a couple of months. Do you are you guys kind of like having sort of regular meets going? We need to we need to add this and we need to get this feature out. Um, how do you plan to manage that? I guess. Yeah. Totally. So we run an agile um, backlog. So each week we have our stand up and we discuss the different um, sort of user stories and the um, features that we want to implement. Um, and even from our live stream just the other week, um, we had some feedback immediately. You know, tell me more about these approach to markets. Tell me more about the procurement journey. How does a tender come to be? Um, so yeah, we've definitely got a nice big backlog and we're always open to feedback and continuous improvement. Hmm. Um, has there been any uh, significant hitches so far? Um, things that you've had to kind of like um, get all hands on deck and kind of um, try and resolve or uh, any hiccups? Um, yeah, the big big learning for us is just exactly what people are actually interested in. So there's a number of key sort of fields that you can sort and filter the data by, but even little things like, hey, did you know there's a category or a description in the austender.gov website? And people want some free text and be able to quickly search by that. So a good example is, yeah, just in the live stream, someone said, hey, tell me about COVID-19. How many tenders have that keyword? And that wasn't something we had, and that's something we're building out at the moment. So just, yeah, quick learnings and yeah, constantly iterating. That's what yeah. That's one of the things that I found really fascinating because um, I've worked in um, consultancy on and off over the years, and tenders is obviously a really huge part of that. And um, because the you know existing websites and you know tender processes are so incredibly clunky and slow, um, and often even when you're registered with a profile and all that kind of stuff, and you get sent um, upcoming tenders, they're often incorrectly categorised and they're an absolute mess. I think any anyone who's listening in who's you know, experienced even 5% of this knows how absolutely hideous it is. So um, I'm, I'm completely fascinated by how, I guess, agile, for want of a bit of a term, but the, the what seems to be so completely flexible in terms of actually getting useful information that businesses can then um, make even, um, you know, structural changes and investment changes to their own businesses if they can see growth areas um, and, and areas of opportunity as the tenders are expanding. So, yeah. Are you, are you seeing um, much sort of, I guess, the small to medium enterprise outside of journalists hooking into it already? 
Yeah, so we've seen a number of logins and signups throughout, yeah, small, medium enterprise, just trying to understand, yeah, those different tenders that the approaches to market that they may have put a tender in for may not have been successful, understanding who actually was awarded that and then just also mapping that as well and understanding how those small, medium enterprises are performing over time, which mm. gives them a level of insights that they haven't seen before. Yeah, absolutely. And preparing a, a tender for a smaller business um, can be an incredibly onerous, uh, time-consuming and even cash-costly task. So um, I, I can certainly imagine that the value um, that this tool can offer businesses when they're saying, okay, how much money are we going to spend on going for this? Ha, ha, you know, being able to see the trends and see the growth um, would, would be completely immeasurable. It's exciting yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's a really good point. So anywise, you know, assist small medium enterprise with applying for tenders and they use the tool heavily to, to assist with that process. Yeah, brilliant. Andy May, how, how, how has this tool changed your work um, uh, in the past couple of months or even just thinking ahead to how you might sort of change your work? Uh, yeah, I think because um, I come from a journalist background, so <laughs> I guess um, using it to, you know, look at the numbers and, I think the the best thing about the tool is that it automatically um, brings up some uh, brings up graphs and and charts that I think could be really useful for people who uh, need to visualize those numbers because I think um, you know if you're just saying oh you know the government's been such and such an amount on you know whatever like defense missiles or something like that but actually being able to uh, visualize it and see, you know, how much they're spending and what the top five companies uh, that are from that one category. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, we saw that last year the Australian tax office spent $4 million on uh, taxis, uh, which is quite a huge amount. And, yeah, that's not including, you know, rideshare services. So, yeah. There's sounds like a lot you guys of, uh, stories you can find from from that. I think. <laughs> sounds like you guys are as excited by the data as anyone else who's going to use the service. Yeah. <laughs> um, we love data. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we've been joined by Annie Mae Forster and Adam Williamson. Um, if you want more information, you can go to oztenderinsights.com.au or visit the anywise.com.au website to learn more. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you. No problem. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Thanks so much for being here. It means a lot. Um, and right now we're joined by Jason Backhouse uh, from the Head of Operations for Beamit. Welcome, Jason. Thanks for having me. Good, good to be here. Yeah, no, no problem. So Beamit's an app for streamlined payments between users. For me, I would use it to get people back for shouting beers. Um, with people flinging money around at each other, there's a lot of data to analyse and with the current pandemic, spending habits would obviously change. Um, so we're here to uh, understand, are we saving or spending, Jason? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, think, I think the answer is uh, it's changed. So I think definitely at the, I guess, the start of the lockdown, so middle of March, we saw a, a fairly sharp drop across the board of spending. Um, uh, kind of just kind of dropped and then um, that was a little bit of shock as people worked out what was going on um, and that kind of stayed in place for a couple of weeks uh, 
I guess something that happened during that time as well was we saw an increase in the request being made. So uh, those beers that you um, that you were chasing your mates up for, uh, people went, oh, you owe me that beer from two years ago. I'm going to go and try and get that, that money now because <laughs> things were a bit more tight. Um, and then I guess uh, kind of in step with that, we saw our, when the first lot of stimulus payments came out, a lot of people moving money around in between their accounts and doing that kind of thing. So yep. There was definitely a, a tightening of the purse strings to begin with. Um, and then it, it started to change a little bit and we saw some increases in, in particular categories. Um, so groceries, for instance, at the very start there. Um, it's hard to tell whether people were getting others to buy groceries for them to go out and get them or whether they were just buying more groceries and stockpiling. Um, there was, yeah. of course, a, a, a huge spike in references to toilet paper um, which lasted for, for a week or two, um, and then that kind of kind of dipped back off, but, but groceries continued to stay high. Yep. Um, and then uh, as it kind of went on, we started to see some, some other interesting stuff come across. So uh, wage payments uh, through the app started to increase, um, which I think was kind of in response to uh, businesses looking at new ways of, of getting uh, their goods to their customers. So they were bringing on more delivery drivers that needed to be paid straight away and that kind of stuff. Were you, were you surprised uh, by these kind of um, payments? Yeah, the, the the business one, I think one thing we probably weren't expecting is because we, we have a, a number of kind of very small businesses on there, usually kind of the, the side hustle side of things. Yep. And how quickly they adapted and found new ways of, of doing business. So started to receive online payments for dance classes or fitness classes that they were doing. And then, yeah, the delivery the delivery stuff that they were doing, um, paying those out straight away. So I think that was uh, kind of surprising and kind of nice to see on the platform as well. Are you seeing like uh, – so spending was um, graphed one way before the pandemic and now it's – change but it's flattening out or it's sorry it's stabilizing so you're starting to see um similar patterns after the coronavirus like post-coronavirus yeah so I, I think we kind of we kind of got to the to the bottom a couple of weeks ago which i'm sure everybody kind of felt it was we, we'd been in been in lockdown for a little while there and then as restrictions have started to come back off the the increase is kind of um, uh, coming at quite a fast rate. So um, drinks, food and coffee kind of types of payments that were kind of took a massive hit at the start and were very low have started to have started to increase again now uh, and come back up uh, at, a, at a reasonable rate. So are they returning to normal levels? Yeah, oh, not quite there yet. I think there's still a little bit to go, but um, I think... If we, so New South Wales, we had the the increases of the relaxation of some of the some of the restrictions over the weekend, um, and that saw a, a kind of a big spike come through. Then, so I expect it won't be too long till they're back back to previous levels. Cool. Um, is there any different ways that um, like can you pinpoint individuals and check their data? Is that um, something that you're able to do with this app, or is it just um, like uh, ID number. 
Uh, so yeah, we, we're we're an ID number kind of thing. We don't yeah. we don't kind of pull out, go and uh, look you up and find out exactly what you're doing. But we have uh, we can kind of look at demographics data and and aggregated data to pull out particular insights across across demos. Yeah, yeah. Is it, and with the say like job keeper payments or any other government payments, are you able to track things like that? The the only thing we could see through that was a. a increase in payments on the days when it first started. So um, it was an increase across our kind of feature that allows you to manage your own money, whereas a lot of it's focused on paying other people. Um, you can transfer between your own accounts and there was kind of an increase in that. Um, since then, it, the JobKeeper payments starting during that period saw a definite uptick in, in spending behaviour across the board. So I think there was, as you would expect, a, a, a bunch of people who were kind of waiting for those per first payments to start flowing before they started spending money again. Yeah. So when you're um, collecting all this data, is there anything unexplained or can you, like how much other data do you need to bring in from other sources to make uh, relevant arguments as to why spending may be increasing or decreasing? Yeah, uh, there's plenty left unexplained. <laughs> yeah. I think. I think all we can kind of do is pull out the insights that we can see and go from there. But I'd, I'd love to kind of pull in, pull in much more data. So I think, yeah, looking at, uh, for instance, even pulling in the the timeline data of, of the COVID restrictions and the payments that were uh, being made um, allowed us to increase what we could find out um, through our own data. Um, we're always interested in more data. Uh, I think one of the benefits of the data we get is that. Where normal payments, you might have a payment description that's receipt X, Y, Z, one, two, three. Um, we've always had a focus on making payments more social. So you've got uh, emojis have been in there since the start. Um, you can wrap it in a sticker. Uh, you can react to the payment. So there's a kind of a, a bit more emotion that's, that's added to the payments where you can um, figure out what the, what the feeling is behind the payment, I guess. So it's almost like you're taking the uncomfortability out of just personal transactions and adding a little bit of social media to the situation. Is that how the how it works? Yeah, that, that's that's the plan. Um, is uh, it, what we've seen with the features that do that is that um, people are kind of lapping it up and and really using it, and especially during the. Um, no, sorry. No, especially during the uh, during the COVID um, period, people were really looking for ways to to connect more. Um, so we saw a, a, a market increase in stickers being sent with transactions, um, and Mother's Day, of course, falling in the middle of that. We saw a big one for uh, payments to people going for chocolates or gifts or flowers. So it was kind of I'm going to send this money to mum and get her to do that. A big one for uh, payments to people going for chocolates or gifts or flowers. So it's kind of, I'm going to send this money to mum and get her to do that. Okay, I think we had a little bit of a fumble with the Skype just then. But um, so yeah, what's, uh, what's been the most surprising or unexplained spike for you? Like, obviously, toilet paper is going to be up there. Um, with something like that, that's pretty easy to understand. But what's the the most surprising? Yeah, I think uh, I think toilet paper was definitely one of them. Um, I think the the decline and then spike in fast food. So uh, fast food kind of 
fell right off a cliff and then uh, it was probably only a week later that people went, well, everything's still open, so I'm just going to, and I have to feed myself now, so I'm really going to go hard on the fast food. So uh, we definitely saw a spike across that. That seems like it would follow uh, just weekly. That's how it would go for me, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. yeah, no one's using their hoarded flour. Yeah. <laughs> I might expect it just after New Year's where people have got that week of resolution before then they revert back to cakes. cakes yeah. And, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so that, that, that was definitely one that was surprising. Um, I think, yeah, like I, I spoke about before, the business use cases um, yeah. across the app, kind of how people adapted and started using it there was, was unexpected. But, um, yeah pleasantly uh surprised um Excellent. the increase in streaming i guess was probably expected um yeah uh, more paying you might have been in the rental house and you hadn't been chipping in for the streaming but now you're kind of a bit more beholden to having to pay for it because everybody's there and can see that you're using the netflix or something like that and i uh, i suppose like you you may be able to uh track data for something like uh the bushfires that happened is can you see how does the like coronavirus compare to like other uh, like global events like that? Um, is there similar trends that happen across disasters or you know um, events like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, this is a much bigger one and has had much bigger impacts on the kind of payments uh, payments sphere mm. uh, and how people make payments. Um, so. We've definitely seen more of an impact from it. I think through the bushfires, we did see uh, an increase of that uh, social aspect and people kind of reaching out and, and sending stickers to each other and that kind of thing, um, but not to the extent that we've kind of seen in, in, in the COVID period. Um, yeah, we weren't around for the previous uh, large-scale pandemic, so it's a bit hard to see, compare it pandemic to pandemic, but... Um, I think there's definitely been much more of an impact and I think that's because of the, the social impacts that are outside of it. Um, also, um, <clears throat> sorry, I got something stuck in my throat there. Um, what's, uh, what are some, um, some problems with looking at the data just from the payment? Can you get any false positives or anything like that when you're trying to research something? Uh, I, 100%. Uh, so I think um, you can always send, send a payment for something. You can put a description as a payment that's something that it's not, actually. Um, that's, that's fairly easy to do and always a good joke between friends um, at certain periods. So you can kind of pick up some false positives in there. So uh, toilet paper is a good example. Um, was it all for toilet paper? Probably not, but it was kind of the, the word du jour during that, during that period. Um, so that's kind of one way you can get uh, the false positives coming through. Um, I guess another way is you may not be seeing uh, the whole transaction. So with with an app where you're splitting things between friends or uh, you've got group payments where you're tracking things, are we seeing that full group's expenses or are we seeing a number of them that are on the app and a number of them that aren't on the app? Um, we can usually pull enough together to kind of Form some, form some opinions about it, but there's always a risk that, that you're pulling something out that's not quite right. So with the data and a little bit of crystal balling, you can kind of make a, a good picture. Yeah, well, that, I, think, I think that's payment analytics at, at its best, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and what's in the future for Beamit? 
Yeah, so um, uh, so we'll continue. So the, the pivot towards business has really spurred us on to continue uh, working out ways that we can better work with businesses. Um, we've got a, a merchant API coming out soon that we're taking um, pilot users for at the moment. Um, so it'll be good to allow them to leverage our payments experience. Um, and then I think on the other side, we'll continue to en enhance the, the P2P payment side that we've got. Uh, it was interesting you mentioned Giphy before. Uh, I think that would be a good integration in terms of uh, sending stickers and, and you can add that extra level. Um, makes the data mining even more of a nightmare because what do you what do you interpret a Daffy Duck meme as? But, uh, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll continue to enhance that and look at that and, and yeah, uh, start, start reaching into the business world and, and letting them see the benefits. Ah, fantastic. And where can people get Beamit? Yep, so it's in the App Store. Just search Beamit, either the, either the Apple or the Android App Store. Um, if you look in the finance apps, it's, it's up near the top there. So, yeah. Perfect. All right, uh, Jason Backhouse, thank you very much for discussing the insights that Beamit can provide us. No worries. Thanks, both. No problem. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. On Triple R with Dan Rowe and Warren. Um, just a few minutes left in the show before Anthony Carew uh, stops by with International Pop Underground. Um, just a couple of things we wanted to have a, a bit of a chat about. Um, if you are a sports fan, um, sport is making a, a, a slow comeback. Um, mostly without crowds and uh, people in attendance, as you'd imagine. Um, an interesting, strange bit of news, um, the English Premier League is actually exploring the use of uh, audio effects and computer-generated fans to improve the viewer experience of watching behind-closed-door games. Uh, so it will just be the players uh, out on the pitches and courts uh, around the world. Um, Rodan, what, what do you think about uh, adding in some CGI fans and uh, can can cheering. It's been done before. It's um, it, an absolute classic case is uh, Metallica's very first live album that I think came out in the late 80s or something. Their own crowd noise was so dismal that they ended up using a Barry Manilow crowd track on the final release. So um, it's it's a concept that has been around for a long time, but I do love that we're, um, you know, getting a whole lot more high tech about it. That's how I uh, usually see soccer games anyway when I'm playing FIFA 98. So uh, <laughs> it's nothing new to me. <laughs> nothing to me at all. It was very strange when, um, uh, when this started a, a couple of months back and they had a, a, at least one round of football without the crowds there and they did the kind of um, clean the ball at quarter time um, with the disinfectant and so forth. But it was just, it just not the same. So I do understand um, the desire to kind of um, just, you know, um, introduce some fake crowds. Um, we're so used to seeing it. It's, it's very strange. Uh, <laughs> in another strange piece of news and kind of um, bringing in stuff that's not there, um, some Oculus news, wrote. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, VR is getting cooler and cooler by the moment. Um, Oculus Quest can now give you absolutely fantastic looking virtual hands in VR. So obviously the Oculus Quest is a really, really awesome standalone VR device. Um, it's wireless. Um, it's incredibly high end. There's no wall mounted tracking cameras needed. So it's it's 
it's you know put it on and go and it usually sells out and this is a really really powerful um new feature where you can basically it'll probably freak people out when they first start using it but you've essentially got hands in vr for the first time and to an incredible quality so um yeah there's going to be a lot of people stumbling over things but it's going to be you know terrific so keep an eye out for that one I'm looking forward to when you'll be able to customize the hands, like you'll be able to get uh, like reptile claws or maybe the Michael Jackson's rhinestone gloves and then you can uh, start microtransactions for new hand skins, I guess. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'd be there for the reptile claws, you yeah. know, dragon mittens straight out of the blocks. All right. I think that's everything for tonight. Thank you so much to our guests, Annie Mae Forster and Adam Williamson. And just then, Jason Backhouse. Um, thanks, Ro. Thanks, Warren. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. 